Welcome to this episode of Impact Education's Payer Talk CE program. My name is Steve Colusi, and I'm the manager of the Clinical Pharmacy Strategies team at Highmark. And I'm excited today to be joined by Dana McCormick, the Director of Pharmacy at BCBS of Texas. Dana, it is so great to have you. No, I'm so glad to join you, Steve, to talk about this with you. Great. Thank you so much. So we have a lot to discuss today around atopic dermatitis, including health plan perspectives on managing new and emerging clinical treatments, the impact on the patient's quality of life, and opportunities for health plans to improve outcomes for patients. But first, I want to let our audience know this Payer Talk CE program is jointly provided by the National Eczema Association, Medical Education Resources, and Impact Education LLC, and is designated for 0.5 contact hours of continuing education credit. This activity is supported by an independent educational grant from Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals, and we'd like to thank them for their support. For any logistical or technical questions regarding claiming credit or other issues, please email impacteducation at info at impactedu.net. So Dana, we're going to jump right in here, and there have really been some considerable advances in recent years in the treatment options for patients with moderate to severe atopic dermatitis. Are there challenges that payers have around benefit design strategies to support timely access to appropriate evidence-based atopic dermatitis treatments? Stephen, it definitely is challenging to, um, as a plan, really think about how we can best create benefit policies and structures that support our members with appropriate care, while at the same time helping save our clients' overall healthcare costs. Because again, I do feel like it is part of a health plan's responsibility to ensure that we are, you know, taking on our fiduciary responsibility of, of ensuring, you know, an effective spend of health care. Because if we don't do that, one of the concerns is employers aren't going to be able to fund health care for their employees anymore. Um, so it definitely is challenging and particularly challenging as we think about disease states where there's been such great innovation that has occurred in a relatively short period of time. And that creates some, some struggles. For example, as we think about the trials, um, when the trials are completed for new agents, and again, new agents that bring decidedly and markedly improved outcomes um, in certain disease states like atopic dermatitis, um, when those drugs come to market and, and have had their clinical trials, a lot of times the different subject matter organizations or physician colleges who haven't been able to come out as quickly with evidence-based consensus guidelines that can help drive some of those prior authorization and clinical program decisions. So a lot of times plans are left with how clinical trials were designed. And as you know, I'm sure having um, done this for your own organization, when you think about how that looks in terms of how a trial was designed versus how it actually works in real clinical practice, a lot of times there are gaps. For example, you know, how do you define disease severity as, a, as an access point to therapy? A lot of times the clinical trials are using very specific tools and resources that are intentionally um, developed so that it can track to an outcome. But a lot of times those same tools and resources aren't used in clinical practice. So even just from the beginning, like how do you define 
what moderate to severe is in a patient just to even start off the process or the, you know, how you identify that patient. So being able to really have different ways to approach that is really important. Then also just another example is that a lot of the trials, um, they don't include patient populations that are reflective of all of our plan membership. So a lot of times the population that's recruited is not diverse in ethnicity. There doesn't, you know, it's not including pediatric patients. So again, we have those things that we need to think about as well. And then certainly, you know, our healthcare system is pretty fragmented and um, there's not a lot of communication that goes on between payers and the physician community as it relates to, you know, how can we manage these clinical programs um, more efficiently. So again, we have, you know, a lack of specialists. So a lot of times as we get targeted treatments that are intended mostly for specialist use, a lot of times there's not access to specialists for members or for patients that are suffering with atopic dermatitis. So Again, the clinical inertia of getting out the availability and how to use these therapies sometimes is slower to the market. And then, of course, as as we are developing these processes, um, you know, a lot of times if we're not having good communication with our physician community, a lot of times we can end up developing you know, programs that are very administratively burdensome, overly, you know, uh, time consuming without any real, real good reason for, you know, having requiring certain lab measures or requiring certain things for approval to be given. And then also kind of um, not keeping our policies up to date creates some concerns around not allowing safer medications to be used earlier in treatment cycles for patients as well. But I do know we we do have one goal. All of us have one goal, and that is to, to help support the members and provide appropriate access. And so again, as a payer, our goal isn't to frustrate providers and patients, but it is to, to ensure that um, you know, we do have appropriate prior authorization and clinical programs in place. And the more we can communicate with each of those stakeholders, the better we'll get at it. Great. Thank you so much, Dana. And and you raised a a lot of really good points and just want to call out a couple of them. The, The fragmented healthcare system, we heard a lot about that from a patient's mother, um, who is her caregiver in the, the previous episode of the Payer Talk CE. So if you haven't listened to that already, I would encourage the audience to, to check that out. It was a, a fascinating story, just hearing it from the, the patient caregiver perspective. And, you know, it was uh, from the perspective of a healthcare provider whose daughter was the patient, and she still explained all of the struggles that she had, you know, getting appropriate care for her daughter. And so that was, that was truly, truly fascinating and, and heartbreaking to hear as well. But to your point, Dana, you know, the, the fragmented healthcare system really creates this sort of divide between the health plans and the providers. And, and it, uh, you know, it is not that we are butting heads. We are all working towards the same goal, but we're doing it in different ways. And that can sometimes be viewed in that, that uh, you know, we are butting heads. And, you know, there's, there's always that question of where does the health plans role end? and the provider's role begin, and where does the provider's role end and the health plan's role begin? And, and that's one of the, the struggles, I think, especially in a disease state, like you said, that has 
has had such rapid growth in the number of of high cost therapies over the past several years. It's something that we really need to be aware of is we're we're oftentimes stepping on each other's toes and and that's really not the intent. So it's it's really important that we make sure that we are doing the the best we can for our our members at the end of the day and, and the patients. So Dana, what strategies do you see being employed to support appropriate access to atopic dermatitis treatments? So Stephen, I do. I think there's a lot of strategies that we can all employ actually to help support appropriate access um, for patients who have atopic dermatitis. Um, And certainly conversations like this, where we are engaging the payer community, we are engaging the physician community, patient advocacy groups to discuss appropriate care for these patients. And really also, especially initially, as we have this great innovation that occurs within a disease state where we're, you know, bringing to market, you know, such better treatment uh, for patients, it really is talking with, um, you know, dermatology specialists and or subspecialists in how to define appropriately um, clinical programs and prior authorization criteria to reduce the barriers and ensure that patients are getting, you know, appropriate treatment um, access. And a lot of that is driven by, again, because of the lack, a lot of times when we have new modalities that come out, there is a, a lag in consensus guidelines on how to treat. And those newer therapies may not be brought into the guidelines very quickly. It's even more important to talk to the to the physician community that is actually treating these patients and seeing these patients to really get a feel for, well, how do you define, how are you defining moderate to severe? And how are you defining, you know, um, a positive treatment outcome? Um, so how can we help define as a community how do we define that to make it easier for everybody to measure that and develop criteria around that? Also, I think, um, you know, again, making sure that organizations, payers are using the most up-to-date guideline recommendations. So really making sure that we're staying on top of the literature around um, treatment recommendations and goals and outcomes for treatment. So I do know that um, the AAD is currently seeking comments on draft clinical practice guidelines on the management of, of atopic dermatitis in adults. And so again, the more we keep up with that, provide feedback and collaborate and see how we can work those in will help ensure access as well. I think there's some other things that we can do as it relates to decreasing the administrative burden as well. So again, the use of physician attestation for, especially in in areas like for reauthorizations or in, and even in the original authorization as well, and decreasing the need for, you know, for chart documentation, because that increases not only a burden for the physician, the treating clinician, but also increases the time to review those by the payer organization as well. Also thinking about how can we automate and use existing data to help support some of the clinical program um, requirements. So is there the ability to incorporate diagnoses from medical claims into the pharmacy data to do a real-time, you know, authorization if there is a diagnosis existing in certain disease states. So that would be another thing. And then also like, again, automating um, these uh, processes online so that it's, you get quicker response and decreases the time to wait to therapy because we know that there's a cost associated with that as well. One of the other things we can do is make sure that 
that we are, again, and knowing, you know, that um, the clinicians that are reviewing prior authorizations are not necessarily always dermatologists or subspecialists in dermatology. Um, so again, allowing for that peer-to-peer interaction to occur when there is like an original denial and there needs to be an appeal for consideration. So then the other thing too is like, as we think about making sure that we are keeping updated with the current guidelines and not just the guidelines, right? Like there's so much real world evidence that's being published now. So keeping up with the data to ensure that we are not requiring less safe or less efficacious treatments as a first line um, when there are alternatives available. And then certainly thinking about the transition of care as members may transition from one health plan to another, whether you know their employer is changing health plans or if they are changing employers that's causing that change in health plans is to make sure that we are considering um, what the patient has been through prior to coming to the new requirements and making sure that we are considering those um, as we make those approvals for the patients. Thank you so much, Dana. That's fantastic. And to speak to one of your points, I think there is a heavy reliance by health plans to look for guidelines to you know help back up clinical criteria that can apply to the masses, right? When we practice our population level care, it's really important that we're understanding that you know every different situation is going to require a different treatment or a different treatment approach. However, guidelines have a, a lot of the same struggles that we do in, in the sense of how do we apply decision-making on the broadest scale first and then narrow it down later. And that's, that's always a struggle on the health plan side. So, you know, the AAD did recently release guidelines on the uh, use of topical therapies, but um, as you mentioned, the um, systemic therapies and phototherapy guidelines are not expected until 2024 and the end of 2024 at that. So we have a little while to wait to, to get a little bit of um, assistance from national organizations in that regard. So just to uh, change gears a little bit, all stakeholders have a responsibility to ensure that effective new treatment options for patients with atopic dermatitis are introduced in such a way that will help reduce health inequities, which is an ongoing struggle, not just in atopic dermatitis, but across the board. So how do you see the payer's role in making a difference in health inequities for patients with atopic dermatitis? So I think there's a lot of things that we can be doing to help make sure that we are either advising our self-funded clients or developing benefit strategies for our fully insured clients or even within our Medicare and Medicaid products as well to make sure that we are not unintentionally creating benefits that create health inequities. Um, one of the things that we can we can work on is ensuring that advising our clients, setting up benefits so that out-of-pocket um, expenses do not create a barrier to access for patients. One of the difficult things to do um, is that you really, you can't set up deductibles and out-of-pocket maxes that are specifically set for certain disease states. You have to apply them kind of across the board. Um, as an employer setting up your benefits. So making sure that we're talking to our clients about how these, you know, out-of-pocket maxes and deductibles can uh, impact patients' access to care. And then also not only just the access, but also adherence and, you know, to the therapy over time as well. One of the things that I think we are 
you know, we really also need to take into consideration is ensuring that we are creating policies that recognize the different challenges with, you know, patients of color specifically as we think about atopic dermatitis. So we know that there are challenges in diagnosing patients who have darker skin types. And so making some kind of a policy allowance for um, that difficulty. And we know that a lot of times um, patients with darker skin colors, by the time they do get diagnosed, it is more severe because of the time it's taken to get to that diagnosis. So making sure that we're taking that into consideration. I think one of the things that plans to have been doing and, and, and should continue to do is really think about what the lifetime impact is on members that have atopic dermatitis to help inform our policies. So again, not just thinking about um, the specific you know, disease progression um, itself, but also how the disease is, is impacting a patient's ability to achieve major life goals related to different things like education or work or family. Um, and understand the, you know, there is a financial burden, um, economic burden, and a psychological burden associated with those impacts as well. One of the things that we are starting to talk more about is like, not only does, you know, chronic disease impact a patient's ability to achieve major life goals, it also potentially impacts the caregiver's quality of life, especially in a disease that impacts children who cannot take care of themselves. And a lot of the things, if we think about pediatric patients who have atopic dermatitis, a lot of their care is delivered by a caregiver who's required to, I think there was a study that showed like 22 hours a week are potentially dedicated to a caregiver um, treating a patient with atopic dermatitis. There is also, again, we've got um, additional comorbidity that exists with patients who have atopic dermatitis in both adults and pediatric patients. And then also we have, you know, different psychological issues, like an increase in anxiety and depression that occur with patients who have atopic dermatitis. So again, taking all of those things into consideration, along with um, just the real disease progression outcomes, I think is super important in terms of how you approach and create a policy as it relates to atopic dermatitis. Thank you so much, Dana. That's fantastic information. And to your point, we had a, a very good discussion with, again, in the previous episode of the Payer Talk CE with the caregiver of a patient with atopic dermatitis. And there was a lot of discussion on the quality of life and the ability to achieve major lifetime goals and, and so forth. And it was, again, a very interesting perspective. So again, I encourage the audience to check that out if, if you haven't already. I would also like to point out uh, to your point, Dana, that patient reported outcomes are relatively scarce in clinical trial data right now, and they are rarely, if ever, going to be our primary outcomes that we're looking at. But it is also a consideration that payers you know, need to take those sorts of things into account, not just disease-related measures that are not necessarily always going to be as widely used in clinical practice. The things that really matter to patients, like the itching associated with atopic dermatitis, that's only one piece of a, a clinical rating scale potentially. And it's important that as payers, we recognize that the itching might be leading to those other issues like a lack of sleep and then inability to, to go to work and, and so forth as well. So that's all really good information and things that we absolutely have to, to, to keep in mind. 
I do also want to point out um, with regard to the cost of care, you mentioned that the cost of care cannot be too exorbitant that patients can't afford it. Otherwise, it's going to lead to worsening outcomes. And I wanted to point to a, a recent study that was just published in the May issue of the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy. And this was by Ismail and uh, colleagues. And basically, the conclusion reads, I'll just take the first sentence here, higher levels of patient cost sharing reduce specialty drug use by increasing medication abandonment while generally decreasing initiation and persistence. So that's such a powerful statement that I think all payers need to keep in mind is that after a drug is approved through a prior authorization process, it is deemed that that patient needs that drug. And if their deductibles, their out-of-pocket costs are going to be too high, they're not going to take that medication consistently. And that's going to lead to those worsening outcomes that we really want to make sure that we avoid. So I'll pause there real quick, Dana. I don't know if you had anything to add to that statement. Yeah, no, I am safe. So again, I think it is definitely important to continue to have researchers, you know, take a look at real world evidence to take a look at, again, just to continue to report on patient reported outcomes and also take into consideration, you know, providing information as it relates to out-of-pocket costs and how that influences patient behavior and caregiver behavior as well. Completely agree. So Dana, last question for you. What are you most excited about looking forward and how payers can help patients with atopic dermatitis? Well, Stephen, I am actually the most excited about how as payers, we can continue to have the conversations and develop really strong processes so that we are all meeting the goal of helping patients with atopic dermatitis access medications in a timely um, manner without um, a lot of barriers that are unnecessary. And again, I think as we think about all of the things that are, you know, coming up here soon, again, like advances in technology that will help us do that, um, kind of a recognition. I think there is an emerging recognition by payers and plans to, um, you know, acknowledge that atopic dermatitis is a serious condition that needs to be treated quickly and efficaciously, and that now there are a lot of different agents that are available that provide, you know, super efficacious and very safe options for patients. So again, I think the thing I'm most excited about is seeing how payers can continue to provide easier access for patients. Thank you so much, Dana. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the most important thing that we are doing that maybe historically wasn't being done is we're having that conversation and, and we're listening to the providers in a big way. We rely on their experience and, and it's really important that we take that and use it in a way that is going to better the care for patients overall. It's really important to understand, again, that we are working with providers and with national advocacy organizations like the National Eczema Association to really make sure that this disease, which has been around for ages and ages, but is really in its infancy with regard to the advancements that we've seen over the past five to 10 years, um, it's really important that payers continue to listen to these individuals who have, have been treating it and will continue to treat the patients on the front lines. And so, Dana, I thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts today on how we can continue to improve 
appropriate access to specialty medications for patients with atopic dermatitis. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And I would also like to thank Sanofi and Regeneron Pharmaceuticals for their support for this educational activity. And thank you to the listeners. Please enjoy the rest of your day. 